And I want to start my talk today with a question. And that is, do you want to be happy? And I'm sure you're probably saying, of course I want to be happy. Isn't that what everyone wants? But what if right now you actually asked yourself that and listened to the answer without any expectation of what your answer would be? Do I want to be happy? It was really interesting to me that many of my clients had trouble answering that. And I, I really pondered this and I, I asked why, you know, and what I understand is the questions that naturally arise when someone asks themselves that are, are what halts people with their answer. Things like, well, what does happy even mean? And if happy, if I was happy, would I still be living the life I'm living right now? Or would I have to make changes? Uh, would I have to step up and do things that are out of my comfort zone? Um, what would I have to let go of to be happy? It's really, really easy to be attached to a life that we're living, even if it's not working that well. Uh, we can even be attached to unhappiness just because that's what we've known. When we look around us right now, it's clear to me that we are in the midst of a profound transition. We've got COVID, we've got human rights issues, we've got economic stability with these, including these vast um, gaps between the ultra rich and the, the very poor. We've got political turmoil, certainly in our country and also around the world. So it's no wonder that people are feeling fearful and anxious and stressed and hopeless and lonely and unhappy. To me, when I really was thinking about this, it felt like the time period we're in, in many ways resembles a near-death experience because this, we're going through a death, or we are actually in during COVID, the death of a life that all of us have known. And, you know, you can't go out with your friends. You can't, you know, everything's just been really different. You can't travel, all these things. And as with any transition, the old must die before the new is born. And being alive, during any kind of dying process, um, in this case, the dying process of what is known can be terrifying, can be depressing, it can be anxiety producing, even if the world as we have known it is deeply dysfunctional, unfair, full of suffering, it's still what we've known. It's what we've gotten used to, just like a life we may be living that may not be working that well, but we're not ready or we're not willing, we're afraid to change it. But right now we have no choice. We have to let go of habits and routines and comforts, all the things that make up the very fabric of our lives. And that's hard, it's a lot of letting go. Before my near-death experience, I was moderately happy or so I thought, but I had no inkling of what a relatively sustained 
level of happiness felt like or what the higher levels of happiness that are available to humans felt like and the ones I feel now after I've had my near-death experience and incorporated the gifts and the lessons into my life. At the time I had mine, which was 10 years ago, I was on antidepressants for quite a while, for some years before it. I was stressed about money. I was going through a divorce. I was a people pleaser. So clearly there were some cracks in what I was calling happiness. And then I had my wake up call, which was my near death experience. Now I wouldn't wish uh, a near death experience on anyone because it's very scary to go through those things. But I am absolutely eternally grateful for the one I went through because it set into motion magnificent transformations in my life, starting with experiencing a happiness I never knew existed. It led to a beautiful work I'm doing with individuals and with companies about interrupting negative patterns of negative thinking and then raising people's happiness. It improved, it improved all my relationships because I had changed. And so the pattern had to be broken with other people and then they start started stepping up. And one of the biggest gifts of all is something I very rarely talk about and never publicly, and that is it opened me to an amazing relationship with a very wise and loving guide from the other side. Um, and I don't know if it's my higher self. I don't know if it's whatever. It doesn't matter. It's amazing. And I'm in constant um, continual contact with it. So if one person's near-death experience, like mine, could have that much transformation on my life, what if we looked at this time right now and we said, what if we're all in the midst of a giant wake-up call, like a near-death experience? Sure, it's a different kind of near-death experience. It's a global experience, but it could be one of these rare moments where we all have an opportunity to examine our lives, our behaviors, our thoughts, and our beliefs, and our hearts, and start asking the hard questions and about our own happiness. So today, I would like to borrow a few pages from the near-death experience, my near-death experience, and apply them to the current situation that we're having and see if there are any answers that bring us closer to experiencing more happiness. So my near-death experience centered on a few primary lessons, which is what I wanna apply here today. So 10 years, I nearly died of a combination of heat stroke and hyponatremia. And hyponatremia is when the sodium gets washed out of your blood to a degree where your blood pressure is just dropped dangerously low. I was at a camp in a really remote area of Vancouver Island. And I had gone there willingly, but once you hear <laughs> what I was doing, you may wonder what's wrong with me. Um, 
I, well, I'll, I'll tell you why I went there first. And that is, um, at the time, I was a singer and I was touring with the guitar player of Pearl Jam. We were in a band together. And we were, uh, we were performing on stage in Brooklyn when I had this bizarre altered state experience where I was performing with part of my mind. Another part of my mind was unfortunately opened up to this, like I, I liken it to a radio station where you tune into, I tuned into a stream of negative thoughts about myself. It was like the unconscious negative part of me just like opened up and it spilled out and all this negative stuff was flooding into me while I was performing. And then a third part of me was behind me watching, observing this whole thing going, wow, I, you're, you're doing some weird things right now. Look at you go. You're, you're handling that. It was like, what's happening? And it really disturbed me to have all these negative thoughts that I wasn't even aware of. And I'd been through therapy, I'd done all sorts of things. I thought I was kind of over my crap, but apparently not. And I, I, so that night I thought, well, what else can I do to get these, to kick these things out of the way? And I thought, well, maybe I'll go to one of those camps where you push your boundaries and you, you develop courage and all that. And so I found one and I signed up. So here I am at this camp. It's a week long. Every single day is terrifying. I signed a, a non-disclosure form, so I can't tell you what happened, but it was hardcore. And on the last day, and sleep deprivation, by the way, we were sleeping three hours a night. So on the last day, uh, it was this endurance event in the sun. And basically, my, my body was just like, you got to be kidding me. And it started shutting down. I had the most terrifying stroke symptoms because I was having heat stroke and where my senses were doing really strange things. Like I couldn't understand, I couldn't understand the words of the person next to me, but someone far away I could understand crystal clear, even their voice, or there were flashes of light or people were strobing when, in their movements. And I thought I was gonna faint, my, legs were all wobbly and I asked for a medic well there weren't really actually medics at this place which blows my mind there was a sweet fellow that I think he had a probably three hour you know uh, just like a, a quick class on how to revive people or something I don't know the poor guy was terrified when he saw me he did give me electrolytes, and I think that's from a physical standpoint, standpoint what saved my life. Um, but every time he was taking blood pressure and this and that, he was just getting more freaked out. So he didn't know what to do with me. He, he put me back at my tent, and it was too hot to be in my tent. So there I am lying under this beautiful tree with my best friend, thank God. And that's when the trippy stuff started happening, the near-death stuff. Well, first, each limb shut down. I ended up being this torso and a head, kind of like imprisoned on the ground there. And then, and I was crying, hysterical, freaked out. And then this image 
started playing right in front of me. It was a scene from a band rehearsal a few year, a few weeks earlier in a different band I was going, had with my brother. And we had gotten into a fight and it was replaying that moment. And it was like I was in the moment and I was watching the moment at the same time. I don't know how to explain that. Um, at one point, it freeze framed and a voice said, what were you thinking right then? And I thought about it and I answered it. And the second it answered, it went off and a new movie started playing of something a month earlier. And at one point I raised my eyebrow in that scene and it stopped and said, what were you thinking when you raised your eyebrow? And I thought and I answered, went off. Another one came up, said, why did you turn your head right then? What were you thinking in that scene? And it went over and on and on and on and on. And this was my life review. I did not have the near-death experience where I completely died, but I had one foot in and one foot out, and I had instruction the entire time. Um, at the end of these several hours of this life review, I was finally asked, do you want to stay or do you want to go? And I, I knew then. And, and this whole time I'd been feeling like my life energy going out of the top of my head. And I was like, whoa, this, this, okay, this, this is serious. And the interesting piece was like anyone who's had a near death experience that was positive for them. There is a, there's a feeling that always brings tears to my eyes on the other side. It's so incredibly beautiful. Um, obviously, 10 years later, I can still feel it. And it's just like the person you love, 10, 100 people you love most in your life coming to hug you and welcome you in. It's profoundly loving and sweet and non-judgmental. And um, so I was very, very tempted to go, let me tell you. But I got into this really great conversation. I started asking questions. If, if I were to come back this and that, what about my work and, and things. And I eventually made the choice to come back. So the first month back, and, and by the way, when I made that choice, all the pain and weird symptoms and the shutting down of my limbs, everything came back, all that went away and my body and everything came back within under five minutes. I would say, I don't know, four minutes. I was exhausted, <laughs> but wow, that was fascinating to me. So the first month after that was like walking around in heaven. I was just thrilled with every single thing about life, everything, all my senses were heightened. Everything was beautiful. The rainy day was beautiful. The bad dreams were beautiful. It didn't matter if they were bad things or good things. Everything was good at that moment. But slowly, my old life started coming back, including my old worries, my old self-judgment, my old self-criticism. And I was like, you have got to be kidding. 
I not only went to this crazy camp, but I went through a near-death experience and I still am having these negative thoughts. That's not fair. <laughs> so um, that feeling kind of yanked me out of this state of heaven. I was in heaven because the old programming was returning. And that's when I sat down and I stopped. And this was the turning point for me because I said, what was the common denominator of all those questions I was asked during the life review? And I realized every one of them were about my thoughts. What was I thinking at that moment? And I said, okay, so if that was the message, what would happen to my life if I changed this, some, this unconscious pattern of this habit of negative thinking, if that can even be done, how might that change my life? And that sent me on a three-year journey, um, actually it's not stopped, where I've been researching how we think, where do these negative thoughts come from? How can someone change the pattern? It's the neuroscience of it, the um, cellular biology of it, the spiritual practices. I, I studied all this stuff and I discovered there were two kinds of negative thoughts. There's a negative thought where it just comes in your head, you go, oh, bummer, you know, and then it goes out. And then there's another negative thought that is repetitive is a ruminating kind of thought. It's a worry, it loops in the head. And it just is like this downward momentum when it gets going. And I think that's what leads to a huge thing that leads to anxiety and fears and self-judgment and resentment staying afloat, um, jealousy, all of these things. And these come from often, they are often unconscious, and many of them come from early programming. So they are sticky, and I call them mind loops, because they're looping around. So my work has been about interrupting the loop, and it's all based on this, what I, the information I got from my near-death experience. So I kept experimenting on myself with interrupting the loop when it would start up and how can I interrupt it? And I developed what I call the de-looping method. It's based on neuroscience and it's detailed in my book. It's um, simple, but not easy to do because so much of this is unconscious. The first step is just being aware that we're thinking these things. But as I use this de-looping method on myself, that's when my life shifted. So to such a higher level of happiness. Um, obviously, we don't have time today to get into the specifics of the de-looping method, but I would like to talk to you about the primary underlying message that if you just follow this, it will dramatically alter your, your life. And that is to become conscious, be aware of where you place your focus where you're putting your attention. Because what we focus on becomes our life. Just like each individual frame of a movie becomes a movie, or each individual moment in my life review became my life and the pattern of my thinking, 
Um, so let's see how this works. Gandhi said, man is but a product of his thoughts. What he thinks, he becomes. So what does he mean by that? What we focus on becomes the fuel, the juice, the food that we're feeding our mind. And if we are feeding it toxic food, like fearful thoughts, addiction to cable news, which is based in fear, comparing ourselves to others, replaying resentments, feeling hatred toward a person or a group of people, worrying, which there's a lot to worry about these days. But if we feed that into our heads, it does these things. Your nervous system gets into high alert. You start creating brain chemicals of stress like cortisol and adrenaline while lowering the happy brain chemicals like serotonin and oxytocin, oxytocin, which is the bonding and trust and love hormone. We're not that fun to be around when we're looping on these things, are we? So of course, relationships start suffering. And we are actually blocking the part of our brain that's able to think creatively and include, and I include in that creatively problem solve the very things that we're upset about. So while that's going on, these unhealth, unhelpful brain functions that are triggered by these toxic thoughts that we're feeding it then create emotions of anger, frustration, fear, disempowerment, anxiety, depression. And once we're feeling all that, those emotions then lead to specific unhealthy habits, choices, behaviors like over drinking, overeating, saying things we regret, slamming doors, procrastinating, holding ourselves back from doing things that would enliven us because we think we'll look dumb or it's scary. And sadly, those actions or inactions reinforce the original negative thought that we were looping on. And presto, you not only have a single mind loop, you have this dangerous cycle of negative looping thoughts and behaviors and feelings. This is why becoming aware of what you're feeding your mind is so important. It's not a frivolous <laughs> choice. These are the moments of, that are your life. So what do we do about how, you know, how do we feed? What are we supposed to be feeding on? How are we supposed to do this? The de-looping method has specific steps that you can take to interrupt, but the basic idea is when you notice yourself going into a state of fear or suffering or panic and anxiety or depression, whatever it is, use that as a cue, like someone's tapping on your shoulder saying, what am I focusing on? What am I feeding my mind? And that creates this beautiful pause where you start noticing what you're doing. You can then consciously change your focus. And what do you shift your focus onto? It could be basically anything but, it, but the thing that you're thinking about. And that could be, what are you experiencing right in the moment? Get into your senses. It can be closing your eyes and seeing things that you love, like a dog or your favorite flower. 
or a, a cool place you traveled to. It can be anything that grabs your mind and curiosity, like a really interesting podcast or a funny movie or an engrossing book. And a really great way to get out of a mind loop is to get into your body, um, to reestablish that connection with your body. That pulls you out of the head and into your body. So anything you can do that's movement oriented, is that's one of the fastest ways to get out. So during this chaotic time we're in, if you wanna stay in the eye of the storm instead of being thrown about by all the chaos that's out of your control right now, it's a great time to take control of the one thing that you do have control of, and that is being conscious about what you're feeding your mind. Um, I'd like to get into the second gift of my near-death experience and apply that also to this strange time we're in with COVID and everything. This one's about the heart. Recently had a, a long conversation with the wise guide that I mentioned earlier. And I said, what is this COVID thing all about? So take it or leave it, the information that I'm going to give you, but it made sense to me. So I wanna share it with you. What the guide said was the COVID thing going on is simply a symptom of a much greater illness that all human beings are going through right now or go through. And that is a closed heart to greater or lesser degree. That is the, he was saying this is the core, the source of all illnesses, mental and physical. And, you know, I kind of said, well, what about fractures and brain chemistry and like psychopaths? That's got to play a part into it. And he was like, well, yeah, that adds to it. But the actual source of what these problems are is a closed heart. So perhaps it's time to start focusing on opening our hearts for the health of your body, your immune system, for the health of you know, your relationships, for um, a mental and emotional stability, for the health of the species, for the, the earth, the beautiful world we live in. So how can you open your heart? How do, how do you open a heart? Well, I'm going to suggest two ways. The first one is to think of three things you love that are easy to love, like your dog. I always see the Grand Canyon when I do this because I love the Grand Canyon. Um, the smile of your baby, whatever that may be. And every day, whenever you get a free moment, especially if you're stressed out, take a moment to close your eyes and savor those Things, those three things you love. Let them come up one at a time and really make them real and feel how good it feels to be in the presence of your dog or the Grand Canyon. And you'll notice when you do that, that your body starts relaxing, your nervous system starts calming down and your mood starts lifting. So that's one way to start opening your heart. And the other one is I'd like to do it with you. It's only gonna be a few seconds, but if you're willing, to close your eyes for a moment and just gently tap your heart area. And the only reason you're doing that is to bring 
a real strong connection between your head into your heart to make a um, really aware of that area. And once that's kind of lit up, you can stop tapping and breathe deeply into that heart area as if your heart is as like is a nose and can breathe. And envision your heart like a cube of butter. And there's the sun is out and it's slowly softening and melting the edges of this cube of butter, which is your heart. And as you let that melt and relax a little bit, you'll feel your heart start opening. You may yawn, that's releasing stuff. You may get tingles, or you may not feel anything. But um, I'm curious if you did, or you can open your eyes if you had them closed. And this may not be easy for people at first, or it might seem really abstract. So I personally set an alert on my phone for three times a day for it to go off and remind me to just take a moment and open my heart. And sometimes it's, I'm, I'm pissed off, okay? And it's hard to open it. And so it literally feels like, you know, when you're rushing to get in an elevator and the elevator doors are closing and you're like, but I, I do my best. I'm like, oh, <laughs> open this thing up. Um, and the more you do it, even just for a few seconds here and there throughout the day, the more it will start softening and the more it will start opening up. The last page that I would like to cover in this um, from near-death experiences and to apply to what we're going through right now is this. We have no idea, none of us do, when we're going to die. So, I mean, I certainly didn't. You know, I certainly did not when it happened to me. So how can we make however length of time we have as remarkable as possible, as un unforgettable a life as possible, as vital, as juicy, as loving, as fun, as meaningful as possible. What I would suggest is doing a living life review for yourself. Last month, I celebrated my 10-year near-death anniversary, and I had an amazing week reflecting on all the things that have happened over the 10 years that wouldn't have happened if I had decided to leave. I got to fulfill some major bucket list desires like hiking to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and going to Machu Picchu and I got to swim in the Galapagos with two giant sea turtles all by myself for a whole hour in the wild. Um, family relationships have transformed dramatically. I wouldn't have gotten to experience that. Special people that I've met in the past 10 years, I never would have met. And I thought about all the mistakes and karma and resentments and habits and crap that I cleaned up over the 10 years. Even if I've made a little more karma in the meantime, I cleaned up a lot. And I bring all this up because this COVID time is like a pause button on the movie that is your life. 
It's the death of our old routines. And we're forced to spend more time with ourselves, with our thoughts, with coulda, shoulda, wouldas, with memories, with regrets. We can feel the passage of time going on and yet still feel kind of frozen, like what's the world gonna be like in a year or a month or even a week? So it's a weird time. What do we do with this extra quiet internal time? And this is when I suggest your own living life review. It's perfect time for that. Um, I know many, many, if not all the people on this, at this conference know, have heard of the near-death experiences having life reviews. And it's basically where you go through scenes from your life um, when you die with a non-judgmental, very loving guide often. Um, so why not do it now while we're alive and kicking? We don't often get these pauses to, to ask ourselves these important questions. So I'm going to put some questions out there and I encourage you to ask them right now. You won't have a lot of time to ponder them, but just think about the, these things later maybe if, if it works for you. Things like, am I living the life I want to be living? Am I surrounding myself with people who nourish me and support me? Or do I need to speak up more or make some changes in the people I surround myself with? If I met myself as a, another person, and if I met that person who is myself, is that person someone I feel inspired by? Someone I'd like to hang out with because they're kind of fun. Um, someone who's to, who I could admire. And if you say yes to any of those things, then please acknowledge the fact that you are already encompassing the kind of person you want to be living. And if not, or there's pieces that you'd like to develop, then first of all, know you are freaking amazing no matter what, but that maybe this is a time you could start developing those things or making these changes to be someone you'd admire and want to hang out with and feel inspired by. And the last thing is about regret. Um, I'm thinking you might want to know, or let's say I'd like to share with you, the number one regret of people who are at the end of their lives. Um, I'm going to read a little bit here from this wonderful book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And it's by a woman named Bronnie Ware. She was a, a nurse in Australia that worked with people during the last 12 weeks of their lives. And she said this incredible clarity came over them um, during that time. And she compiled the wisdom of that. So the top regret that they said was, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And she went on to say, this was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost completely, is almost over and look back clearly on it, it's easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people hadn't honored even half of their dreams 
and had to die knowing that it was due to choices they had made or not made. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. Now, I realize this is a heavy thing to bring up during a pandemic of all things, but if we don't start asking these important questions now and what we may regret, and then taking the actions to turn that ship around, when are we going to examine them? When are we going to make the changes? Do we really wanna wait until our actual life review? So now that we talked about mind loops and the importance of what you focus on and feed your mind and the value of consciously opening your heart and a living life review, I'd like to ask you again similar questions that I asked at the beginning. And just notice if any insights have come or if any of your um, internal answers are different. So ask yourself, do I want to be happy? What would it take for me to be happy? What might I have to let go of? And what might I need to do differently if I truly wanted to be happy? Remember that fear and anxiety lower the immune response while love and gratitude strengthen it. So especially during a time of a pandemic, why not consciously choose to focus on love and gratitude over fear? Finally, the last thing I wanna say is to me, the key to an, a near-death experience being really useful and transformative in a person's life and not just this bizarre and terrifying ordeal is to take the time to ponder what happened during it? What was the messages? What were the messages? And to es excavate those gems and insights and learnings, just like an archeological dig and pull them out and then incorporate them, that, all that healing wisdom into one's life. And likewise, if now is similar to a near-death experience, what we're all experiencing right now, I believe that something new and amazing can emerge from all this chaos if we spend a moment to contemplate what's occurring and learn, learn from our, our pondering and incorporate that wisdom into an, our newly rebirthed lives. Thank you so much.